As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hey, don't fast forward yet because i got to tell you that we're doing another YouTube Live this weekend, but it's 8pm Saturday night. 8pm Saturday night. What was I thinking? Trying 6pm Sunday night. That is Mum Armageddon. I just, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. All hell broke loose at my place after I tried that last week. Firstly, I, I couldn't get it going Um, because I was so stressed about dinner, I think, and there was a lot of drama happening. But it's definitely going to start on time this week. Don't worry, I've got someone to help me. (laughs) And uh, this is just a better time, I think. 8 p.m. Saturday night, sadly, is peak 
doing nothing else time for me in my life. So hopefully it is for you too. Why not talk crime? Let's get on YouTube. That's where we'll be. Hopefully Emily will be there as well. It's very technologically advanced this week. It's going to blow your mind. So 8pm Saturday night on our YouTube channel. That's Australian True Crime Podcast on YouTube. We'll be chatting. You can chat back. We'll be talking all things true crime. It's amazing. I hope you can come. Also, if you're not a patron yet and you would like to hear a bonus episode featuring court reporter Jamel Wells, then seriously, you need to get on it because we uploaded just that for our $5 patrons this week. Thank you to all our wonderful new patrons, by the way. Ben Northeast. Is that a real name, Ben? I love it. It's very Kardashian. Ben Northeast. Michelle Gebby. Meg Lumsden. Jim Horn. Cat Ether. Jessica Dempsey, Jeremy Holwoods, oh no, Holwerda, 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 Jeremy Holwerda, great name, Cam Densley, I mean all the names are great, don't think if I don't comment specifically I don't like your name, I love them all, like my children, Tom Harper, Cassandra Badenoch, Badenoch, great one, so look, all names are good, that's the takeaway and also thank you, thank you, thank you so much, for becoming patrons, you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash Aust True Crime Pod, A-U-S-T, True Crime Pod. There's a $5 option and a $2 option. They are in American currency. I want you to be very, very aware of that because like dog years, it's actually more and more Australian dollars every day. Our lives are changing for the worst every moment. Just ask Carrie ann Kennelly. Okay, on with the show. Please be advised this podcast contains descriptions of graphic violence and is not appropriate for children. There was a Salvation Army hostel at the top of Auburn Road in Auburn there and uh, in that posh belt there. and that, and that um, So I got to see many of those kids and that, you know, others from the Box Hill Boys Home around that area. One of them talked me into doing my first burg on a supermarket in Hawthorne and so uh, that began my life of crime. It stands to reason that most of us that had failed our foster and our adopted parents ended up being on the wrong side of the law. And that's because we had failed uh, our responsibilities as a foster child or an adopted child. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Today on Australian True Crime, we hear from the one and only JC, Jack Charles, better known far and wide as Uncle Jack Charles. Many Australians know Jack as the charming actor and writer. His gregarious, generous nature belies a story of extraordinary courage and tenacity. Famous for many years now as an actor, writer and subject of many, many portraits, both painted and photographic, Some of you may not know about Uncle Jack's earlier years when he was better known as a prolific cat burglar, an incorrigible heroin addict, a regular Pentridge inmate, a Box Hill boys' home survivor and a stolen Aboriginal child. In the late 1990s, a young filmmaker by the name of Emile Curtin-Wilson approached Jack in the street in Fitzroy in Melbourne and asked if he could follow him and film him as he went about his business. It became a decade-long process that resulted in the documentary Bastardy, 
By the time the film was released in 2008, Jack was heroin-free for the first time in decades. He'd completed his 22nd and last prison stretch ever, and he was writing and performing theatre again. According to Jack, that young filmmaker saved his life. Up until that fateful meeting, Uncle Jack's story was not particularly unique in Aboriginal Australia, which is no doubt part of what motivates him to keep telling it. What is unique anywhere in the world is Uncle Jack's charisma. He's a stunning entertainer, even in a small podcast studio. What's truly special about Uncle Jack is that he can tell a story about devastating unkindness inflicted upon him with unwavering warmth and generosity for his audience. It's an important part of Australian history, and he's really great at telling it. So I hope you'll encourage others to listen and to talk about it. We've taken some heat over recent months for our decision to include an acknowledgement of the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We've had some abusive messages and people who've told us that they'll no longer listen to the show because of it. To anyone still wondering why we feel that acknowledgement is appropriate and necessary, we offer the story of Uncle Jack Charles. Seems like you're everywhere these days. It's nice, isn't it? I don't know who took that photo from the Monash Gallery of Art, but it's very striking. It's in black and white. And I think it's of you when you – it might be a few years old now, but, yeah, it's just very striking. Could be Rod McNichols. He's been a portraiture photographer, and he did pick up many of us on the streets years ago, people at the pram factory, young actors and layabouts around the street, and took us up to the studio it used to be a rehearsal space for, for us too, uh, but uh, it's his studio now and he took photographs of us. And those who survived, we went back up there again, you know, and I, I was about, uh, I don't know, um, about 30 when he, took, uh, when he took that first shot and then uh, when I turned 60, he took another shot and he used it as a timeline series for the... Uh, the National Gallery of Victoria and that, you know. I don't mean to be rude, but I, I wonder how many people did survive that long. Yeah, yes, yeah, well, no, there were a few empty frames. But that's right, and his photographs have been working well with me. It won the National Photographic Portraiture Prize in 2012. Well, you've got a beautiful no, face, so there you go. Uncle Jack. <laughs> Some enterprising artist down here have painted me in oils and edited me into the Archibald. And I said, it's never going to happen, you know, it's a Sydney push. And then lo and behold, Anne Doe gets me for a brush with fame. And that interview went viral. And um, from that painting, he asked me, would I mind him doing another portrait for the Archibald? Yeah. So I said, oh, this is a good thing because it's a Sydney push, I always said, the Sydney gangsters in the arts council, (laughs) the Archibald out there, whatever. Uh, You know, he's a Sydney artist, we'll get a leg in, one knee. It, the, uh, it, it was listed amongst the three finalists, mm. so we got a leg in. Uh, we didn't win, but we got the People's Choice. But because the People's you're... Choice is a good... Uh, yeah. So there's three, oh, yeah. three areas of the Archibald yeah. that you can look at and that, you know. Well, you're a beloved Australian. Yes, yes, But yes. I feel like, Uncle Jack, a lot of people sort of don't really know yeah. the full story yeah. of why you're okay, such a so famous well, Australian. Yeah, 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 yeah Would yeah. you mind if we begin we get... way back at the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. of your life, yes, yes, please? Yes. Okay, good, good. I was born in 1943 at Royal Women's Hospital in Grattan Street, Carlton. Like most of our Melbournians, uh, that's where we were born. Our umbilical cord was cut there. 
that then emplaces me as a Melbourneite, okay? Under the Australian system at the time, the, the um, assimilation program, all children were to be taken from their mothers, you know, shortly after birth to be delivered into an institution to be assimilated. Well, not all children, all Aboriginal children. Yes, 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 yes all Aboriginal children. So I was one of the ones. Did your mum ever get to hold you or see you? Uh, when I when I turned 19, about 19, I, I discovered where she was and found her and uh, took a trip up there. So she never got to hold her baby? No, no, I, and I, I say that in Bastardy, the documentary, I don't ever remember being held or nurtured in any way at the Box Hill Boys' Home. What can you remember about growing up in a boys' home as a little Aboriginal child? Well, the only Aboriginal kid there. Oh, what, okay. okay. It would have been seen as a failed social experiment if other Aboriginal kids had been moved in with me, registered Aboriginal kids. I have since found out that there were a couple of other Aboriginal kids there, but they didn't look Aboriginal. Yeah. Okay, they might have had olive complexion and that... And I look at those photographs of us at the um, at the um, uh, forgotten uh, Australians uh, building over in Richmond. I've got these great big uh, book of photographs of of the boys from Bayswater Boys Home, Box Hill Boys Home, Burwood, and a couple of other the boys' homes, so we can have a look at ourselves. You know, when we're little tykes in a baby's home or in the in the uh, young children's home at four or five and four. Four to uh, ten, mm. and then uh, there were three sections in the Box Hill Boys' Home. So I was went in there as a baby after I did time and, uh, at that uh, um, City Mission Babies' Home, two years. It was interesting because, uh, you know, nobody really laid into me about being black or that. Uh, I have been reminded since by some old fellas who came up and seen Bastardy and so came and saw the show Jack Charles versus the Crown and uh, reminded them uh, that uh, they were in Box Hill Boys' Home with me. And do I remember them? Well, I don't. But they remember me. It, that's significant, their memories of that lone Aboriginal boy there. You know, it would have been seen, as I said earlier, a failed social experiment in Father Aboriginal Kids did come in. Because so I was there to be assimilated. Yeah, the point of the program yeah. or the policy, assimilation policy yeah. in the what we now know as the stolen generation. And those the... kids weren't really racist. No, they were children. Yeah, you know, they were kids. Yeah. Uh, there are some kids who came in at a later stage in, in their lives who'd been living with their mums and dads would have um, learnt um, uh, how to be a little bit uh, offside with uh, blackfellas. And so I do remember having to fight a couple of kids now that it's been recalled to me, you know. Mm. Somebody uh, somebody came up to me one time after a show, came and saw the show, Jack Charles versus the Crown down in Sale, two fellas, you know, and they said, oh, Jack, we remember you well. I said, oh, sorry, fellas, that I can't remember you. I remember you chasing me around the footy oval, Jack. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, well, what were I chasing you around the footy oval for? I think I called you Blackie, Jackie. I said, oh, right, okay, so what happened? Oh, you bashed me, Jack. And so here I am 56 years later apologising to this old fella for having bashed him. But there's, a, there's the beauty of being a, 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 a person of renown, you know, that uh, people from my past can come out of the blue, knock on my door, as a matter of fact, because my address is in Bastardy, the documentary, you know. Do you still and, live there? Uh, yeah, I still live in that block. Let's cut that out. 
I'm going to cut that out. No, I don't want people to know that. Well, it's known. Everybody knows that that was the building that actually saved my life once I was housed. Mm. You know, once the uh, Aboriginal Health Service gave me a unit, you know, I... um, I uh, only ever did one more burg after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, come to the burg. I, I, kind because... of, I kind of weaned myself off burglaries. Well, this is it, but I want people to know very clearly, yeah. you know, why, how how your life ended up well, where it ended up. That's look, really important. You know, being raised in Box Hill yeah. Boys' Home, right? And taken uh, from your mother. And taken from your mum, you know. Yeah. There were a few times in the homes that, uh, you know, I had to even ha- have an awakening. You know, from the age of about uh, 10, 11, I knew that something was amiss because uh, there was an incident up in the Blackfella camp in Griffiths during the 50s, early 50s, where my mum was charged with murdering somebody. And I believe Uncle Doug Nichols had sent in my uncle and auntie, Henry and Amy Charles, into the home to check on uh, Blanche's, my mum's, uh, the firstborn, to check on me. And that broke the pattern of believing that I was an orphan. For you? Because everybody was telling me I was an orphan. Yeah. Oh Even my foster mum and the Aboriginal Welfare Board was telling me I was an orphan. You know, they didn't want any signs of this uh, incident that happened in the Blackfella camp come to light. And so there's been an element, in actual fact, from my perspective, uh, Aboriginal payback law delivered to the Charles family. The Charles name here in Melbourne, Victoria, is was mud at the time. I tried to make contact. The second contact into Aboriginal Melbourne was difficult to make contact. So being being raised up, you know, in the in the Box Hill Boys Home for twelve years there, and then being fostered out to the widow Murphy and her twin bodgy sons up in Blackburn. Great experience to experience, you know, to understand uh, uh, what it was like living as a family member with uh, Widow Murphy and the twin Bodgy sons. It was great, and going to work straight after I left the home the day okay. after. Can I just ask you to confirm, though, Uncle Jack, that there was abuse in the box? Oh yes, yeah, home. yes, 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 yes. So, so you've been taken from your mother, had no maternal nurturing or anything like that as a small child. There has been abuse of every kind in the Box Hill Boys Home. And then as a young teenager, you've been fostered. And so are you being sarcastic or are you being honest about it being a nice home that you went to? Well, it was nice. Okay, nice. It was, yes, yes. You know, I get to look upon it with hindsight. The bodgies had a horse. What's a bodgie? Bodgies and wedgies. They were like the skinheads. And, oh. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Know, yeah, such an They used thing. to fight each other, didn't they? That, there was the... Okay. They had big fights in yeah. Blackburn. And bodgies my, and wedgies around boy, the suburbs. boys were involved in the fights too. And they allowed me to look after the horse. They were apprentice mechanics, you know. In the, you so know, real suburban household. Real suburban, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Where did you work when you I left the home? I worked at RMS Glass in Riversdale Road, Hawthorne, as okay. a glass beveler. So I went straight to work the day after I left the home. Wow. Remember, uh, those of us that left the home, were about to leave the home, were given a heads up by the Aboriginal Welfare or the Child Protective Services to um, take us on a train trip from um, the, the home from Box Hill up to Blackburn, then walk us up to 10 Terrell Avenue, see Mrs Murphy, oh, hello, Mum, I call her Mum, you know. And then, uh, so because we'd known each other for a while, her daughter plucked me when I was younger out of the home and uh, you know, taught me to swim at the Box Hill swimming baths, even though we had a pool in the, in the, uh, the home there too. 
many families around Melbourne were doing this too. Um, you know, I was taken um, by um, two other different families during the time. Many of us were taken and, and uh, given a trial run with a family, a weekend holiday or right. a part of the school holiday we were taken, as I remember, a family over in Elfington. In this day and age, that sounds hideous. Yes, 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 yes. That sounds... See if we were potential adoptees or foster kids. It sounds so... So here we are all waiting, you know, in the wings. Like puppies. Yes, yes, yes. Right? It sounds to us... We were like that. And, of course, I was cute. Well, you're still cute. I was Aboriginal, you know. Right. I was cute, apparently, you know. Yeah, because that's that colonial sort of little black baby's idea, isn't it, really? Yes, 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 yes. I've got the letters that Mum, Mrs Murphy, wrote to the... Uh, welfare people saying that I'd like to, we've got along famously and I'd like to actually have him live with me. But what's the feeling when they drop you back off and don't come back, like you failed the weekend? I mean, Um, mean, you didn't fail, obviously. The worst one was that uh, after that incident uh, up in the Blackfella camp, I can now, with hindsight, uh, uh, make it certain that uh, Uncle Doug Nichols had sent in my auntie and uncle, to check on me. So they took me, they came in and took me in their big car opposite to the Box Hill Boys' home, the Footy Oval and the park there, the Surrey, Surrey Park, and there was a, a, a an old quarry that was called a Surrey Dive. It was filled with water and it was attached to the Box Hill Baths and that. So you got your bronze medallion if you could swim across. But uh, Mrs Murphy won the day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so uh, I got, but she was always, you know, trying to convince me that I was an orphan. But I had to tell her those incidences, those quiet incidences that uh, where where I believed that I wasn't an orphan. Oh. I told her the incident that uh, I had an uncle and auntie come in and uh, took me on a picnic. And then just before, a month before I left the home, my first sighting of other Aboriginal kids in that home Gosh, what was did delivered you think? unto I mean... me. Kutcher, they... Kutcher Edwards and his brothers. No. Kutcher. No. So it was no. the only time that I've ever been taller than Kutcher. <laughs> ah. <laughs> no. And this is the sin of it all, yeah. you know. Kutcher's mum and my mum are sisters. No. Yes, yes, yes. Your so we were first cousins. But in amongst those kids was this young fella, Arthur, who said his last name's Charles. And I can recall saying to him, wouldn't it be funny, mate, if we were brothers? Yeah. Well, we were. Oh, wow. We are. I buried him a couple of years ago. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes, Sorry. yes. Um, and I buried two of those sisters. Uh, the other thing is that once I left, I still had this streak of uh, the whitewashing had worked with me at the Box Hill Boys Home. You know, I um, I um, faithfully went to church, but I'd had to sneak out my bedroom window to go to the Methodist service in the Blackburn village. And that this pissed Mrs Murphy off one time. She came in and dragged me out by my ear off. Wow. <laughs> but I stuck fat with the church, mm. you know, because they were great. They, you know, took me out on, on outings and that, you know, mm. holidays and that, you know, uh, weekends and go rabbiting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I learned that. And also... They uh, took, delivered us up to, we had a little entertainment group and we traipsed one time up to the Nutterwanning Girls' Home, Wynn Layton, to put on a concert. And amongst all those little girls there were these two small 
waif-like Aboriginal children. And, of course, I just had to go up and ask them their names. The elder of the two shyly responds, uh, I'm Esme, and this, my sister Eva Jo. Well, what are your last names, the girls, I say? Charles. <gasps> Charles? Well, I'm a Charles too, ladies. Wouldn't it be funny if we were brothers and sisters? <laughs> yeah. Ironically, we were. No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the system just was not allowed to tell us gosh, that we were that's related. So cruel. The same and with Box Hill. Had they been taken from your mum as well? Yes, 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 oh yes. All God. of us. Oh, well, see, mum had 13. God. So everyone was taken except two that died at, uh, at birth. So I read also that you once, when you were in the foster home, you took yourself off to Collingwood because you heard that Aboriginal people were there. No, yes, yeah, yeah. This was like the the biggest, the big sin. Yeah, you know, seeking out uh, my, my my family and that. You know, at the behest of, uh, I wrote it in my play. The blokes at work uh, urged me to check out Fitzroy Jack. A lot of blackfellas over there. Bet you got family amongst them. Mm. So one Thursday night, with a full pay packet that I normally take home unopened to Mrs Murphy, I went over to Fitzroy. And no sooner had I jumped off the tram on the corner of Napier and Gertrude Street when this old black fella pulls me up. Charles, you Blanchy Charles's boy. I shat myself, of course. How did he know? know? Just by my bone structure. Ah. Uh, my wow. size. Yeah. By looks, we can tell. Yeah, okay. I've learnt that they can tell. Yeah. <laughs> People can tell. Yeah. I know, too. I've got to know now, you know. Mm. I can't say exactly now because I've never been raised up. But this fellow was. And so he ushered me into the builder's arms. And, of course, I've entered another world there. Every face in the place seemed to be black. Anyone who could, they rush up to introduce themselves to me as a cousin, an auntie, an uncle. I'm so overwhelmed by their beery hugs and kisses. I didn't drink, so I dove into my pay packet, shout a few beers, and I had a lemon squash myself, you know. Your mum, she limping up in Swan Hill, one old lady croaked. You should go and see her, young fella. So that hit me like a ton of bricks. So I told her I will, first chance I get. So, of course, I got back late that night to Mrs Murphy, jumped up and down on the footpath out the front door. Joy, oh, joy, mum, I just found mum. Mm. I expected her to share my joy, but no such luck. She wrangled the story out of me. My night in the Fitzroy pub, being recognised as a child, but worse still, my pay packet ripped open and a third of it spent. This riled to no end. She comes at me, those people will tell you anything. Yeah, well, I believe them, I say, raising my hand. Am I going to hit her? I see the fright in her eyes. Get to bed, she hisses before backing off. No sooner had I put on my pyjamas and settled down for the night when she calls me to the front door. Police divisional wagons parked in the drive and I'm driven over to Royal Park home for juvenile offenders. No. I was a ward of the state, a child of the Crown and would have been until I'm 18 and that woman I'd called mum had deemed me unruly, no. disobedient. So for the first time, locked alone in a cell, I remember crying myself to sleep that night. Oh, and... Um, it's the first of what becomes for me a series of incarcerations. Oh, Jack. And from that time, all my Christian sensibilities were somewhat blackened. Oh. So she jumped immediately to the stereotypes of violence and of blackfellas lying, yeah. cheating, stealing your money yes, yes. and you turning... She so here's, thought, the other, here's the other end of the scale, oh. my first crime... Your first crime? My first crime. You Which see. you hadn't even commi- you hadn't committed. Uh, well, you know, many of us, as soon as we were taken, 
it was a criminal offence to be a child in need of care and attention. Mm -hmm. There are many records which have just recently been expunged of the work with Uncle Larry Walsh and that. These criminal records from the age of, uh, you know, when you, the time you were taken, you know, I've seen evidence of other people's criminal records. One, Choco Edwards, has said uh, at seven he was uh, taken from his mum and the offence was he was a child in need of care and attention. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think it happened to white people. Come on reflection, I understood now why the... The, the Box Hill police already knew me. <laughs> I hadn't been introduced to me, nor I to them, and that. But um, so obviously in those days, people coming out of a Borstal, being Borstal boys or girls, where the local police, uh, the authorities were uh, apprised of the information that uh, so-and-so, Mrs Murphy of 10 Tyrrell Avenue, has a, uh, fostered a, an Aboriginal child. Okay, so keep your eye on that. God, <laughs> it just sounds like absolute madness when you're listening to it. <laughs> and I'm, I didn't even know the full ins and outs of it. So listening to you is really helping me to understand the, the deep trauma that yeah. a whole generations have yeah. have had. So as far as the uh, the rapes and the the, the abuse was concerned, uh, I'd always put it behind me. But on that last jail sentence in 2005, a bunch of the boys from Box Hill Boys Home were all collecting our methadone. And they said, oh, Jack, do you remember us from Box Hill Boys Home? No, fellas, I don't. Oh, well, we remember you, Jack, you know. Listen, Jack, we're part of a class action against uh, uh, the Box Hill Boys Home and the Salvation Army. And, uh, and then they mentioned a few officers' names and that opened a can of worms for me. And then I knew what they were about to say, but they said, uh, we want your phone number, Jack. We believe that you're, you're the, the best person that could give credence to our stories, validate of what went on in the Box Hill Boys' home. So I did come out. But before I came out, I had that awakening, that, he, he, um, that, that moment where the penny dropped for me after having uh, gone through the Murramali program delivered by Auntie Lorraine Peters and her daughter. It, um, I like to say it, re relit my the burning embers of my fucked up, locked up, drugged up, fucked up dreamings, and that it it worked for me. I intended to leave the jail to go back into Collingwood Fitzroy, um, uh, to be uh, uh, proclaim myself as uh, as the new sheriff in town, <laughs> the local Featherfoot Kadacha man, lawman, and. Um, I would have, um, you know, I validated myself. You know, I'm a man of lived experience. Before I went in, I jumped off the smack and uh, took up the methadone because I knew I was going to do time. So the doctor convinced me to do this one jail sentence with methadone, Jack, because you're a bit crook. You know, you might not survive it. So uh, I did. I, I'd never used methadone before. I knew of its invention. I knew the full story of methadone. As a drug addict, I, I got to know that the Germans invented it because they couldn't find any morphine. And it's a more insidious drug to try and come off. Many of, the, of the, the, the people in those days used to get back on the smack to get off the methadone. Still do. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Still do. So it's a vicious cycle for many of them. Mm. And, uh, but um, 
um, as I said on that uh, that Muramali program, awoke within me. You know that you know, that uh, that uh, sense of uh, pride uh, and uh, discovering of uh, my empowerment. I, I had a voice. I'm an actor. You know. I know. So you know. So I used to use my fine sense of con artistry. You know, <laughs> in telling the stories when when they did ring. You know, the other t- trick was that uh, during that uh, that uh, whole one year jail sentence there, I still had the key to my unit in my property. Collingwood Office of Housing uh, had maintained it for the full year and a month. Normally, they they deliver it to another person after nine months. Mm. If you're still well, in the jail. documentary Bastardy demonstrated for everybody that you were one of those drug users who maintained the charm. You were one of those people who was a self-confessed drug user, cat burglar, nightmare for Melbourne. You used to call yourself rent collector. Was the yes, way yes, you described, yeah, <laughs> your your crimes, yes, your yes, theft. Yes, yes. But lovable and charming. Yes, and yes, a charming old reprobate. You know? Right? The busker, your local busker. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that the Department of Housing would keep your flat for an extra three months and that those things would happen for you. But could you take us back to, you know, where we left off was that, that horrible night when Mrs Murphy sent you for your first night in custody? Because I wonder, obviously, we can see very clearly you've had a lifetime of pain as a young man, mm. and we know that heroin abuse generally comes about from pain yes, 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 uh, yes. because it's a painkiller. Yep, certainly was. And also that then is the precursor to the life of crime to pay for the heroin. The next morning I awoke to see many other kids from the home, Bayswater home, Bourbon Boys home too in Box Hill. All of us failed foster kids and adopted kids and that and some of them were already on the life of crime. After the break, Uncle Jack Charles catalogues his life in crime, from his very first burg to a standoff in the Pentridge exercise yard with one of our most often mentioned characters. I wonder if you can guess who it might be. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Coming up on Australian True Crime, Uncle Jack takes on Collingwood's young drug dealers. But first, we travel way back to his earliest forays into the world of crime. We pick up with young Jack Charles waking up in the Parkville Detention Centre after his first ever night in jail, having been sent there by the widow Murphy for the terrible crime of spending his own wages on a night out at the pub with other Aboriginals. The next morning I awoke to see many other kids from the home, Bayswater home, Bourbon Boys home too in Box Hill. All of us failed foster kids and adopted kids and that and some of them were already on the life of crime. Because my, before, I was lucky my boss bailed me out. Before she's, I was just thinking that, before she sent you there, you had a job. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, you were... Yeah. You had friends and Absolutely. you had a horse. I had you friends were around Blackburn and yeah. all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, there was always that move that I would have to do to uh, um, go into Collingwood Fitzroy, and that was my undoing. My boss wondered where I was. And that it was a great job. It was a great camaraderie and uh, and the social group and that you know we used to go to the Tivoli Theatre and all that kind of stuff. So it was a nice life. Yeah, you were it living. was a good life. Yeah. You know, I was starting to get interested in performing and all that myself yeah. and that you know because I used to sing a lot there. And that, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, the local police in Glen Ferry forced me to get up and sing at Ziegfeld's wow. uh, sixty forty dance there <laughs> in Glen Ferry above the market there. Frankie Davison was the host, a 48-piece orchestra and that and people dancing and that and I had to enter this competition or go to jail oh. <laughs> or get charged with a crime and that. Of course. Uh, so, uh, and I won. I won the competition. I went in the next week and I won it again. And if I'd have won it the third time, I would have been in. I would have had a spot in Graham Kennedy's in Melbourne tonight. Wow! But instead, I was busted by the Camberwell police. <laughs> what did you get busted for? Housebreaking. Oh. So, so the the thing is, you know, once the door was open to that cell over in Parkville, then I see all these other boys, almost at the cusp. You know, two years before leaving, being a Borstal boy, a ward of the state behind, I have to make my own choices now because my boss bailed me out. He says, where's my favourite little Aboriginal worker? And that, you know, oh, he's in jail now. He's in jail. He, he mucked up and that. So he came and bailed me out. I charmed him because he used to always bring his mates around to meet the little Aboriginal boy working in the factory and that. And at one time he brought around this bloke. He said, Don... Uh, Jack, uh, I want you to meet a mate of mine, that, uh, the usual opening line. I said, oh, yes, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, Don, Don Bradman, meet Jack Charles. So I shook the hand at 15 of Don Bradman. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Because years later, the ABC employed me to play the part of Eddie Gilbert, the, the Aboriginal fast bowler who bowls <laughs> Donald Bradman out twice for a duck. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know, anyway... The opening was the, the realisation of being looked after my by a boss and placed into a, a Glen Ferry's uh, gentleman's resident, uh, you know, a full board and all that kind of stuff, going back to work and then meeting many other others from the Box Hill Boys Home around that area. There was a Salvation Army hostel at the top of Auburn Road in Auburn there and uh, in that posh belt there. 
and that. And um, so I got to see many of those kids and that, you know, one of them talked me into doing my first burg on a supermarket in Hawthorne. And so uh, that began my life of crime. It stands to reason that most of us that had failed our foster and our adopted parents ended up being on the wrong side of the law and that because we had failed uh, our responsibilities as a foster child or an adopted child. It was so easy, young, uh, impressionable minds like mine was at that time. Also, uh, it feels like that was the expectation, that that was what was expected of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's follow the, the normal pattern. Yeah. And then even going into Pentridge, into the young offender yard, I was given a measure of protection there because there were many... Xbox Hill boys, homeboys there, and gangsters, already gangsters and that, you know. And so everybody knew me and that, you know. Um, I didn't know them, but they knew me, you know, Jackie Charles. My job in those days was to write letters for them because uh, many of them couldn't read and write, so I was uh, well-educated and I'd had some uh, elocution lessons at the Box Hill boys' home, so it was pretty weird for you know, somebody to come in, an Aboriginal especially, to come into Yogg's Yard or into Pentridge, into the cattle yard, speaking the Queen's English better than better than most mm. and that. So I was a, a bit of a novelty and that, and um, I, I was given a lot of respect for that. People like Chopper Reed didn't really take to me too kindly and things like that, you know. We had some words in, in the yard one time and that, you know. But on the other end of the scale, you know, watching these people and seeing how they matured into their practical dotage and that before Chopper died here in Collingwood. I had watched his journey and I had noted and uh, gave a lot of respect and due, due him because he, uh, you know, he did a lot of paintings and he sold out in Hogan's Gallery up there. Mm -hmm. Sold out show. And every piece was, you know, quite expensive and that he's... His paintings were childlike and all that kind of stuff, but I liked them. And I never bought one myself. It was too pricey out yeah. of my price range. But he left a lot for his kids. And this is what we all try and strive to do. And that's so there's that end, other end of the scale. He hated my guts. I don't know why. I never gave him any reason to hate my guts. We were too young to be even talking to each other, you know. I remember the incident he came up. And I was speaking to a fellow named Brian O'Callaghan and he became a very heavy gangster, that fella, the O'Callaghan boy. Chopper comes up a lot in our podcast. It's like this recurring theme. And, yeah. well, and Pentridge. Whenever you talk about Pentridge. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like you fitted in in that environment? Oh, yes, I fitted in so well. In a way that you oh, would never I, fit I, in I outside? I felt needed. You know, I was writing letters on behalf of people. They were giving me their innermost thoughts. They'd come to me. It was a laugh because they'd come to me with bits and pieces cut out of the back pages of the, the papers, births, registrations, death notices and that, and they would want me to meld in some of the words oh, nice. into their love letters. Oh, nice. <laughs> bits they liked. Yeah, 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 bits they liked. Put a bit of that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds like it would be a much more comfortable environment than out here. Well, it was a place of sanctuary. You know, you, you got to sleep in a bed. In those days, it was a single cell. They double up now. Did you ever go to jail deliberately? Did you ever have any of those times? No, I never minded, really. It was a way of respite, in a way. I believe that every time I was busted, I got another five years lease on my life. Mm -hmm. And here I am at 76 now this year because I had been given that 
that break. It was always with a sigh, sigh of relief that I accepted being busted and I accepted to have to go through the motions of going into Paran Cop Shop and all the houses I'd robbed and it would come to around near 7,000 and they jacked up. We can't charge you with 7,000. What about 77? Would that help? Would, you, would that oh, be God. okay, Jack? So I had these wow. moments with the police, you know, <laughs> great moments. In the old days, you know, my addicted days, you know, they couldn't get a word out of me unless they got the police doctor in to give me a shot of pethidine. Yeah, and once right. you have a shot of pethidine, you know, people going through birth would know this. You're, you're very talkative. You can be very talkative. Yes. Warmed and flushed on pethidine. 22 convictions. Yeah, 22 convictions, yeah. Uh, you know, this mob here, you know, oh, our best fucking get back, but that's really 22 times <laughs> incarcerated. I say, come on, fellas, it's a failed cat burglar. <laughs> <laughs> so talk us through your criminal career. How long was it? Oh, it was quite some time from the age of um, 17 onwards. And what made you decide to retire? Well, it was that last, uh, it was Bastardy, the doco. The documentary. Um, and uh, how did that come about? Because it's very honest and it's one of those documentaries that we watch. You're very charming in it and you're very honest, but it's a very hard life that you're living. You're living the life of an addict and it doesn't surprise me that you feel like going to jail is respite because it's a hard old life you're living. And then when you saw that documentary, what did you feel? I am blessed that uh, I had a young fella that uh, gave me a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. Not like that television show, that uh, Channel 9, there's a show about people struggling on the streets. Oh, that. you don't like that one? Uh, Struggle Street. Yeah, yeah, You don't Struggle like Struggle Street. Street. Okay. It's not like that. Okay. No. This was, you know, just follow me. He asked me, would I mind him following me around with his camera and crew recording my life on the streets? And I already said my first instance was to uh, say, well, I'm due for a whack. Come and record that. So a whack is when you have uh, some heroin? Yes. Yeah. So, so um, that was significant. I felt from that time that he asked me that oh, it's about time, you know, about time somebody you know, got to... Hear my story, one stolen generation person's story, that I'll run with this. We never knew. It took two one-year jail sentences during those eight years of the development of Bastardy the Doco. There are a lot of trials and tribulations we never thought I'd survived and that kind of stuff. Going into jail on the last time, they never thought I'd survive that one, but I did. And that's because I had the intention of coming out, even though I was refused parole. If I had have done that one-year jail sentence, that um, my parole officer, my cousin sitting on the parole board, had deemed me unsuited for parole again. This was really strange because uh, he was my cousin. He hadn't noted the fact that I still had the key to my unit in my property, that I was going to be leaving this jail not homeless, for the first time leaving a jail situation not homeless, but having my own unit to go back to. Nobody had broken into or entered my unit since the time the police came and picked me up. So that's why I was assured I knew that I had some place, but also I had the intention of coming back and uh, striking out to be a leader in my own right in Collingwood Fitzroy. I aimed myself on, upon the last Kodaicha man fed afoot. He used to deliver his, uh, his admonishments with uh, a baseball bat and sometimes with the threat of a pistol. When was he rattling around? During the uh, 70s and oh. 80s. And he was a hard man. Any women that complained to him about their man bashing them, he would he'd be very out. hard on them. He tried to, 
and delay the intrusion of powders into Collingwood Fitzroy. Matter of fact, went up to the pram factory and wanted to bash the dealers that were hanging around the pram factory. Mm. That's where I had my first whack in the 70s, 73, I think it might have been. I had my first whack there. We were so full of it in those days, you know. I was uh, becoming a really bad uh, uh, drinker. I remember doing Dimboola there, the first theatre restaurant performing yeah. piece. Oh. Yeah. And uh, Bastardy there. And I was very alcoholic in those days. And there was an incident where something or other, I'd knifed the four tyres of a uh, mate's car, a singer, sports job, you know, Morgan. Lovely cars, you know. <laughs> I was that drunk, I, you know, angry with him. I knifed his four tyres and... And uh, he, once he told me about that, that penny dropped then, uh, instantly I thought I could have stabbed him. So I gave up alcohol from the time he told me. Hadn't drunk a drop uh, for eight years, but I took up the smack instead. So you did, though. You got you got bail. You got out yeah. of jail and for the last time, the 22nd time. Yeah. And you got back to your flat and it was still there and you had to key. Yeah. So how did you go about convincing everyone in the neighbourhood, in Collingwood Fitzroy, that you had changed your well, life? Well, first of all, you know, I had to jump off the methadone first. I always knew that I was still thinking awry, yeah. okay? During this period of two years, I was really comfortable in realising my potential and I realised I had to do a number of things. The Elders Leadership Skills course was being undertaken in those days through Canberra. I and Chuck Howard Edwards from Victoria uh, would go to these uh, functions. The women in another convention centre and the men in another. From this this heroin addiction that you'd had for such a long time, did you feel like you were just kind of reawakening, being reborn? Like, Well, well yeah, yes, but I was so busy. You're going to feel... I was so busy actually yeah. watching me back. I was given a hard time by yeah. it because yeah, I approached the fellas that were yeah. bashing the women because people were complaining. Some girl in the walk-ups in Campbell Street said... Uh, Jack, I'd like, you, know, you should give a measure of protection to this woman. She's Archie Roach's bass player at one stage, down on hard times. And that. So I went around and uh, I um, said, I'll stay here at the weekend because they know I'm here now. They used to deal outside her unit, give her a hard time. They bashed her because uh, and kicked her in her private places. One of the local hoods, dreaded clan, uh, everybody dreaded and all that kind of stuff. But no, 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 I... As I said earlier, I knew them, raised them, watched them grow up, protected them when they were in Pentridge at one stage. So the point was I felt that I had the uh, the right, the inherent right, to uh, pull them up and to say the right things in protection of this woman. And uh, they did say, you're going against the, the Brotherhood, Unc. I said, no, 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 I know what you've been doing, fellas. I know what you've been doing, you know. You've got to stop selling shit to people and also giving them used syringes. Oh. You're spreading what you've got around. You've got to stop that. But also you've got to stop this behaviour with this woman. If you left her alone, you know, I'll talk her into taking the charges off. But they made it life difficult for us. I had just come out of jail recently and uh, I hadn't known that the Neighbourhood Justice Centre was in vogue, was happening we found ourselves trapped in that unit sometime. It's very scary. So I rang around. There was nobody in any of the services that would come to my protection. Nobody. So we rang the police. Oh, how did that And they down? suggested, uh, look, Jack, um, 
we know what's been happening down there and uh, I think it's a good thing that you've uh, gone and uh, delivered yourself with this woman and uh, you've, uh, you know, given her protection on that. I think it's a great Jack. That's what the Collingwood Jack said. And they said, um, but uh, Jack, take her around to the Naval Justice Centre, work out something with them. We got around there in the Naval Justice Centre and uh, she laid a, a restraining order against this mob and that and these mercenary misses and that and uh, it's up the ante a little bit. You've got to remember we're talking with people that are using drugs. You know, we're not using drugs, yeah. but they are. Yeah. So, you know, within their law, what we're doing really pisses them off. <laughs> yeah. It gets angry. So they came at me with a knife. I'd jump off the tram or on the corner of Smith Street and uh, Johnson Street there and uh, I'd have to tighten the sphincter <laughs> because I didn't know from when these bodgy, these gangsters were going to come from. Quite heady time and that. Yeah. You know, I'm only a little fella. Yeah, you're, I didn't <laughs> you know? want to mention that. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, But these are big tall fellas and I'm going up against them. Some small part of me says, well, I am JC. Yeah. <laughs> I am Jack Charles. I learned a lot about Christians, you know, JC turning the other cheek. Well, I didn't actually turn the other cheek, you know. I would round on them. If they called me a dog on the street, I'd stand on the top rung of the stool that I was sitting on to give me a little bit more height mm -hmm. for instant street theatre on the Smith Street <laughs> strip. Only a black junkie racist rat like yourself would call me a dog. Uh, to prompt, you know, a response, yeah. <laughs> either that, walk away and discuss mm. with themselves or with me, maybe come back, you know, for an apology. took a full year for them to actually turn around and, and make an apology over that. But that was before some pretty heavy people had to talk to these people. Well, your courage and your wisdom won the day mm. and you definitely, as we started this conversation, we round back. Yeah, we and they're back both around. still alive. They're both still alive now. Well, and I'm sure they're part of the community that, you know, the community respects you yep. greatly and you've become a community leader. And so I know that you are very focused on young community members. Why is it that we have such high incarceration rates with young Aboriginal people in Australia, increasing rates? Mm. Why is it we talk so much about the stolen generation and yet we have more Aboriginal children removed Be from their homes now, today yes, yes. than I've ever before? Right? Why, why is this? It's because our own services have failed to do the right thing. Okay and to be genuine with the programs. They're very good at accessing money uh, for certain projects, but it's only done half-heartedly. And that, you know, the Men's Shed program, you know, the Men's Shed program, people should be coming back from a Men's Shed program weekend up in country, coming back in order to be able to apologise to their missus, uh, their daughters, and start thinking differently, respecting the women in our community because there's a lot of violence still in our community. We're not at that level yet. You know, we need to do, reinstate our community centres again. Because of the abandonment of our workshop, our community centres, our hubs around the nations, there has been that sharp rise in numbers in our youth detention centres and adult prisons. If you want to develop more jails, cut the processes of keeping people out of jail cut the financing of community centres, cut any possibility of these people gravitating towards one hub in their small town. 
I'm going to deliver that up in Shepparton Marupna one time very shortly. I've been pushing this for over 10 years to develop. You said something really poignant when we were having a coffee just before we started recording, Uncle Jack, and you said as a as a member of the Stolen Generation, even at age 76, you are constantly learning about yourself. And yeah. you mentioned that you only met your dad yeah, well, yeah. knew who your dad was in recent years. So we all think we're on a journey of self-discovery through life, but you truly, as a member of the Stolen Generation, are. Yeah, it's yeah, like you're yeah, meeting yeah. your brothers, your sisters. Mm-hmm. That must feel very confusing but also intriguing at the same time. And enlightening for me because, you know, I, I, I get to understand why it, it, it takes this long and that, you know. So who are you? What have you found out about yourself after I all this now, time? I, I know now that I'm not a mere Curie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I am um, Wurundjeri on my father's side. The Last year they found out who my father was, the Koori Heritage Trust. Wow. And Boon Wurrung on my mum's side, which takes in the art centre down St Kilda, mm-hmm. Point Nepean, and all the way down to Wilson's Prime, prime coastal Aboriginal real estate. Uh, Jar Jar Wurrung on my paternal side, uh, Judge, uh, Great Greats. And uh, I've yet to discover a maternal side with the Briggses and uh, Truganini and uh, Tommy McRae, people like that, uh, early Aboriginal history. There's more to discover. The thing is of it is that uh, when I did come back the second time into Aboriginal Melbourne to check and try and uh, connect, and that uh, it was difficult a second time coming in i become independent and uh, well and truly left being a borstal behind, so I came in uh, in the 20s and when I was 20, you know, or something, and uh, I came into Collingwood Fitzroy uh, walking around in crushed yellow velvet flares <laughs> uh, with a, uh, a net uh, T-shirt and big afro and that, you know, so I was this miniature afro. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Holding the hand of a man who was wearing a caftan. Yeah, great. Down Gertrude Street and down Smith Street. Very fashionable, great. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I thought that was the the one that kept me offside with community. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the crushed velvet <laughs> flares. And it was very hard because the aunties wouldn't you know, tell me much when I did ask them. When our services were developed, you know, the old Aboriginal house service on the Gertrude Street strip, you know. I do remember going to that building when it was the uh, sexual diseases clinic and to get my 10 shots for for a dose of the syphilis that I got around Collingwood Fitzroy and that, you know, gallivanting there. And I remember these times and that. And so we jokingly say, yes, well, the the blacks are looking for our own health service. Yeah, we'll give them that poxy building up there in Gertrude Street. (laughs) You know, that'll that'll help them. And it was the beginning. Foley, McGuinness developed that, along with a lot of support and that Curry College and uh, uh, the dentist service. As a matter of fact, I was the first uh, person to to be given treatment in the dental service and that, you know. It's really strange because uh, I had a uh, buck teeth, one of my beautiful buck teeth chipped with a police 38 that was shoved in my mouth in Paran one time and that, and it was getting sore and painful. And so I was the first recipient at the, the dentist clinic. The next day, I had to go and audition over at Malvern on the street next to the railway line there for Apocalypse Now. Oh. The original script called for an Australian Aboriginal deserter 
who joins the, uh, the uh, some tribe nearby that uh, delivers uh, messages but also drugs into Marlon Brando's cabin. So for the film you were auditioning? So I auditioned wow. for the, that was the original script. They rewrote it and put Dennis Hopper in and that, oh, you know. Oh. But you've got to remember, I had just been shoved out of the new theatre at that time. I'd done my seven years amateur work with them and they said it's about time. Yeah. that you went out. So this was one of the first. So all these was happening. Aboriginal health services were developing. Always, I wasn't welcome in Aboriginal Melbourne. But you always and yet, had such courage for a person who... Pushing the boundaries. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Yes, being in their face and that, you know. Yeah. I, I auditioned for here. You know, I, I don't audition now because after the the Boney series, this convinced me that I should never, ever um, audition anymore you know don't try to audition jack you, you'll never get any work why you audition for here you never got it you audition for apocalypse now you never got it i wanted to play bony okay because i went in there john mccallum was interviewing prospective actors for it i've read all 37 books of arthur uphills in prison i've become acquainted with this character i wish i hadn't said in prison oh yes <laughs> Of course, I didn't even notice when you said that. Of that course. was the nineteen seventy six, wasn't it? Oh, Boney uh, or something? I yeah. thought you meant the the one of like ten years ago where Cameron Datto played Boney. The well, that was no, 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 that yeah. was it. Yeah, that was oh, it. That was it. Yeah, we oh, were right. pissed off because he was the last person to ever black up. I yes. thought that once Bob Mazur and I came around, they stopped blacking people up to play Aboriginals. But of course, this is John McCallum, Googie Wizard's husband. Yes. Still a touch of the racism in Different. him. Generation, that. yes. And um, he said to me, he said, I'm sorry, Jack, we're looking for, actually, we're looking for somebody with blue eyes. No. <laughs> I got this ring of blue around there, so he wasn't really looking at me. So I, I re- was resolved from that time never to audition. So I've, uh, uh, you know, I've told my agent, listen, just tell them that Mr. Charles is too far up himself to audition. <laughs> he fears rejection. Get a laugh out of it and that when you reject them. You know what I say, Uncle Jack? I'm not going to fight for a seat at a table anymore. If I'm not invited to sit down, I'm not interested anymore. I'm not fighting for a seat at a table anymore. I'm over it. And if people should be clamouring to have you sit at their table, and if they don't get that, Fuck them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't yeah, deserve yeah. you at their table if they don't get that. Yes, well, it's a, it's a waste of time. And, yes. And, and, you know, uh, uh, to try and convince people who just don't want to be convinced. No, they would not and, be and charming yes, company yes. anyway. So, well, so there's know, plenty of us who want you at our table. It. It, yeah. great, it makes great for you know, yes. writing theatre. <laughs> you know, just little stories and that. You can yes. put in stories and that. It's great. To experience these things has been a blessing. Yes. Because I've experienced them. With, uh, with a clarity of mind that I had. In 2015, Jack Charles was one of a number of former residents of children's homes run by the Salvation Army, who testified before the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. He and others spoke of widespread sexual abuse and beatings perpetrated by staff members and a cycle of older children assaulting younger ones. The Victorian government admitted failing in its duty of care over children who were abused in the homes, but no charges have ever been laid. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.